So the message God gave me, we're, by the way, we're starting into a really special season next Sunday, next weekend. Um, I'm not going to tell you the topic, but it's, it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be very a marking series in the, the rest of April for our church. We're going to really go after some things. It's going to be amazing. Um, and I was thinking about starting that today on Easter, and the Lord said no. And he said, you're going to preach on this. And I, you know, I was looking in my Bible, and, and there's a subtitle that said, The Dead Will Rise. And God goes, there's your title, The Dead Will Rise. And so uh, some dead are going to rise tonight, so we praise the Lord for that. So let's talk about that resurrection and resurrection life. My mom at breakfast this morning said, what are you preaching on Uh, this weekend? I was like, resurrection. (laughs) Yeah, it's Easter. All right. And so the dead will rise. Um, I don't know about you. I've had a lot of people in my circles um, that have passed away recently um, in the last, like, two months or so. More than normal. More than normal. Um, It comes in waves, doesn't it? I asked a undertaker, not that, but the person who, like, deals with bodies. What do they call those? Speak louder. Mortician. Yeah, I asked one of those at a funeral one time. I was like, is it just me or do they come in waves? She goes, absolutely, they come in waves. And I was like, that's interesting. So anyways, I don't know why that is. It's just a mystery. But there's been more than normal in my circles. Um, just to give you an idea, this is in the last four weeks, maybe five. Uh, my uncle Al Volkman passed away. Uh, Greg Warren, dear friend uh, with Open Heaven Ministries, served with Open Heaven Ministries. Um, Dennis Forsyth, who is uh, a man that I grew up going to church with, I served in worship teams with his wife. Uh, Gary Nyes, one of my high school teachers. Uh, that my wife's mother was very good friends with. Uh, Patty Grooms, one of our own free people. I didn't know her personally, but uh, some of you did. This was her church home, and she was very faithful here. Uh, family here at church uh, recently, the man's, the husband's mother passed away, and then her father passed away like a few weeks later. Uh, this is all in the last few weeks, basically. Uh, a man that really is special to me, Rick May, who is a producer and uh, Chillicothe, Central Ohio, and Christian man, and uh, drummer for DC Talk, if you knew them back in the day, and uh, sound man for Mercy Me, but he, Rick, had a ministry, really, where he would produce albums for up-and-coming Christian bands, and probably hundreds of them, and I was blessed to work with him about three different times, and just a man of God, super encouraging, and I don't know, he's probably in his 40s or 50, early 50s, maybe late 40s, and... Um, just passed away recently, so that was a huge loss. Um, those are just in my circles, and I'm. some of you are like, yep, I knew those people, and some of you know other people that passed away recently. Um, so death has been on my mind a lot lately, and it's kind of strange, but I've told my wife and, and those close to me before, I kind of prefer going to funerals over you know, weddings or, or other celebratory things. Because I'm like, this is real. This is real. And scripture actually tells, told, told me <laughs> why, why that is. Um, funerals can be good medicine for our hearts 
because it reminds us that this life is not all there is. Um, if you're living for this life and only this life, you are not wise because you're living for something that is here today, gone tomorrow. You're living for something that's a, literally just a breath, a vapor, a mist, and it's gone in the blink of an eye. That's why the psalmist says, Psalm 90, verse 12, teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Because when we realize eternity is eternity, and we are on this earth one day, and we are gone the next. Doesn't matter if you have a day on this earth, or a hundred days, or a hundred years of days. I'm telling you, compared to eternity, it's still the blink of an eye. And so in this life, in the end, all that matters is God and people. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 is the scripture that the Lord showed me one time about why funerals are like real. They're real. It's better to go to the house of mourning, it says, than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. It's, it's good to go to a house of mourning. It is good medicine. It is a good reminder. So being confronted with the death of someone you love can be good medicine for you. But it's Easter weekend, and being confronted with the death of Jesus is better medicine. Because we know Jesus' death was not an end. It was a beginning of something brand new. It was the beginning of a new covenant. It was the beginning of a new chapter, like the like how many of you know there's two main sections in God's word there's before Jesus and there's after Jesus right it's the beginning it's a new chapter and so death this is my encouragement to you tonight death is a chapter it's not the end it's a chapter it's not the end look at your neighbor would you please look at your neighbor and tell them death is a chapter. It's not the end. C.S. Lewis is a well-known atheist turned Christian and later brilliant theologian who wrote the beloved and best-selling book series Chronicles of Nardia, not only to entertain children, but also as an allegory of the Christian life. And there are actually seven books in this series, eight if you count the magician's nephew, which you should. And this is how he ends this book series in the book called The Last Battle, which is the last book of this long epic series full of so many stories and adventures. And he says this in The Last Battle. They, they literally are persecuted and killed. Allegory for end times. <laughs> and then they go to heaven. They go to Narnia to be with Aslan, Jesus, right? And it says this. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one earth, on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Death started as a, you could say a punishment from God, 
the consequence of sin. Although I don't think it was a punishment. I think it was, he was just saying this is the natural consequence when you get disconnected from life. How many of you know you can pick a flower for your wife and it looks pretty and you can set it in water to make it look pretty longer. But the moment you cut it off from its life source, that flower, my friend, is dead. And so God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat from this tree, which is doing something that's outside of my will, not trusting me, disconnecting from your trust in me, you will die. And the moment they did that, boom, their flower got plucked. They plucked themselves out of God. And, and, and God put us in such a beautiful world that is so full of life, bursting with life. It's like that flower is still in a water jar, right? So it looks pretty for a while. But the grass withers and the flowers fall. The word of the Lord stands forever. And so God says if we sin, we die, and we do. But the moment they sin, the moment we sin, we're dead. They were dead spiritually. But their avatar, as I like to call it, their body was still animated. Their spirit's dead because it was disconnected from God. David said, surely I was born sinful from the time I was conceived. Conceived in sin, born in sin. We all are. Which really means you're born dead. Spiritually. Spiritually speaking. And the spiritual is the greater reality. This is just the tent that we animate. And so, we're all born dead, spiritually. And God made a way for us to be made alive again, which is to reconnect us to the source of life, which is God. But that could only be done if our sins were paid for. Because God will not dwell with sin. And he doesn't want eternal heaven, the new heavens and new earth, to be as jacked up as this place. And so he's not going to allow sin in heaven and in the new heavens and new earth. And so he's a just God, and that is part of his love. Justice is love. Justice is love. When somebody rapes someone and kills them, and we execute justice on them and put, lock them away for judgment, that's love. Because that person is acting outside of love, so love executes a consequence on them. Okay? So God is love. And his love, feel-good love is love, and his justice is love. And so he made a way. He sent Jesus, lived a perfect sinless life, willingly gave that life to die on a cross, to pay for the death we deserve so that our sins could be wiped away for those who receive what he's done. That's like to have his blood applied to your account. So God has wrapped a gift called salvation. He's put it under your Christmas tree, if you will. Everybody, it's available for everybody. It was for everyone, whomsoever. But you have to take that and receive it and open it up and say, I want this. Then what he did gets applied to your account. We call that salvation, okay? And so you receive Christ by faith. How do you do that? You profess that he's your Lord. Lord, because he's master of the universe. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. So when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. What you're saying is, I'm not going to be like Adam and Eve. I'm not going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They already knew good. This was the 
knowledge of good and evil, knowing evil, knowing what it was like to be other than God, away from God, to be their own God. That's the essence of sin. And when you come to faith in Christ, it's not a magic prayer that wipes your account clean, then you go back to living as your own God. No, 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 no. That's not salvation. And if you do that, you're not saved. And I need to tell you that tonight. Salvation is, I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord. And King Jesus, whoever receives him as Lord, applies his blood to their account. They are forgiven. They are saved. They will take part in the new heavens and new earth, and they'll live forever with him. Where there's no crying, no death, no pain, no suffering, it's going to be awesome. But it's, a, it's turning from your sin and selfishness, so it's a life change. Okay? That's salvation. Jesus is my Lord. And so, this is the gift he's given. He's made it possible. And for those of us who receive him as Lord, I'm in a weird place in my life where I'm drawing nearer to God than I ever have. Fearfully near. Fearfully near. And I love it. But the closer I get to God, the more I don't fit in this world. And the more the Holy Spirit keeps warning me, you will be hated. But he's worth it. And if he's my Lord, you know, Peter once said, not so, Lord. That's an oxymoron. If he's Lord, Master, you, you don't tell him no. <laughs> you do whatever he says. And that will bless your life. Because his commands aren't burdensome. But the essence of salvation is receiving him as Lord. Okay? Now that does start with a prayer. Be my Lord. Right? Are you understanding the clarification? There's a difference of forgive me of my sin. Okay, got that taken care of. Back to living selfish life. He's not Lord. You're not saved. It's a difference. Then be my Lord. Please forgive me. He does. Okay, now what do you want? Now what do you want? I'm yours. Now, I just gave my life to you. Now what? And he's such a good God. He'll come and take residence in you through his Holy Spirit. And he will not leave that question unanswered. He'll call you. He'll speak to you. He'll lead you. So that's the gospel. Praise God. So, death is a chapter, especially for us. It's a chapter for everybody, by the way. Our souls are eternal. But the Lord wants to encourage his people tonight. This is a celebration, okay? And I want to read 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. To talk about death, the chapter, and what we have to look forward to, and how that should impact our here and now. First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. 
in him. Isn't it interesting language? The apostle Paul, the further you, deeper you get in the Bible, the more the language calls death sleep. Death seems so final to us. But when you've conquered death, when you've been beyond and you win and you come back bringing the keys of death and hell, it's almost like Jesus is like, that's really, death is really too strong of a word. <laughs> it's really just kind of like they're asleep. <laughs> you know, Lazarus is sick. You know, he's falling asleep. We're going there to wake him up. <laughs> well, if he's sick, Lord, let him sleep. I mean, he'll get better. <laughs> needs his sleep, needs his rest. <sighs> Lazarus died. And for your sakes, I'm glad we weren't there. So that you will believe. When we wake him up. That's the chapter. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead, of Christ, dead in Christ will rise first. The dead will rise. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The word caught up there in Latin, it's the Latin word <laughs> caught up. Caught up in Latin is where we get our word rapture. So this is where the biblical Christian idea of rapture comes from. That at the second coming of Christ, if you're new to Christianity, Jesus died on a cross. He rose again. He was here for 40 days appearing to his disciples. Then he ascended back to heaven. And after 10 more days, he poured out his Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of Jesus on his disciples at Pentecost, which is the Feast of Weeks. But he told them, I'm going to return just as you saw me going. So in the same way he ascended up into the sky, he's going to return when he comes back. He didn't come to this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, John 3, right? But when he comes again, he's coming to judge the world and deal out judgment based on what people on this earth since the beginning of time have done with him, have done with Jesus, have done with God, okay? It's the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's great for those who believe in him. It's terrible for those who don't. Scripture says when you see this happening... Don't fear, stand up, lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. Christians will be like, finally, he's back. Praise God, it was getting bad down here. And everyone else will go into caves and cry out that the mount, they'll pray to mountains that they'll fall on them because they're so terrified because they'll realize, oh crap, the Christian story is true. Jesus is the king and look, here he comes and we chose wrong. We chose the world system. We chose the beast. We chose to be our own gods. We chose the things of man, secular humanism. We can be better on our own. And we chose wrong. And they'll know in that moment. That's what's going to happen for people who are still in the earth in that moment. But whether he comes now and that's us, or we, he comes a thousand years from now and that's not us, we all will stand before him. 
It's appointed for a man to die once and face judgment, Scripture says. And so, this is going to happen. He's going to come back. That, this is not a metaphor, by the way. The Bible uses a lot of poems, a lot of poetry. God's an artist. God's a scientist. God's consummate everything because everything that we do is a pattern off of things he does because we're made in his image. So there's poetry, there's art, there's beauty in the Bible and the scriptures, there's metaphor, there's stories that are meant to be metaphor, the parables of Jesus, uh, not true stories, they're made up stories that speak to true realities, that's what parables are, right? But the Bible also has a lot of history in it, and it, you can tell when the Bible switches from poems and artistry to literal. You can tell. Paul's being literal here. This is not a metaphor. Jesus will come back. If you believe he was conceived in a virgin and was literally born, then we need to believe he will literally come back. And if we're alive at the time, there will be a rapture. I've heard some preachers say, oh, the rapture is like a metaphor. No, it's not. It just means caught up. Okay? So it's a real thing. We need to... We'd be much better off in faith and in life if we took the Bible a lot more literally. Okay? So, this is true. It's going to happen. And for Christians, this is encouraging. (laughs) Last verse. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Praise God. Therefore, because this is reality, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Why encourage one another? What was it? Verse 13. Because we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Because the early church, their friends were getting murdered by the government. And it was horrific. And they were delighted in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit and the experience and the miracles and all the things. And they were horrified at what was happening to their friends and family. And life is hard. And we must go through many trials to enter the kingdom of God. And if you actually enter the kingdom of God on this earth, which you can, and you can bring it, (laughs) you'll be hated. And there will be more trials. But you can't shy away from Jesus. And you can't keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world to try to avoid that. He'll spit you out of his mouth. It's all or nothing. It's King Jesus or nothing. It's bring the kingdom or nothing. And so he's saying... This church is grieving, grieving. And he's saying, listen, some of you are grieving just a little too much. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. In other words, I don't want you to be unaware of what happens when we die. So that You don't grieve like the rest of the world who have no hope. He's not saying we don't grieve as Christians. We do. And grief is good and grief is necessary. Even Jesus wept and he even wept when he knew that in about 20 more seconds there was going to be no more reason for weeping because he's going to call Lazarus back out. But he still entered into the present moment of the pain. So grief is good. But we need to grieve with hope. The hope will heal you. The hope will heal your grief. Uh 
And so I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what happens when we die. This is reality, whether you believe it or not. This is what happens when we die. And I'm going to walk through scripture. How do I know? Because scripture. Because scripture. That should be the number one reason. Let me ask you a question. If scripture is not metaphor, if it's literal, if it's describing realities, should there be evidence that these things are true? Yes. So could science study things in our experiences? And if the word of God is true, the things science studies should validate what scripture says, right? Okay. All right. Little foreshadowing of where we're going. So what happens when we die? Verse 16, we already read it. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And we also believe that God, listen to this, will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. When you hear so much about resurrection in Christianity, you can start to think that when we die, it's, well, they're in peace. Rest in peace, you know? They're in peace, right? And you kind of get the idea, or can, that it's like cryogenic sleep. And, and isn't it amazing, like, cryogenic thing is not even a thing. I mean, it's a field of study. But, like, freezing someone and then bringing them back 100 years later, it's not even a thing yet. But because of science fiction movies, we all know what I'm talking about when I talk about cryogenic sleep. We're like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen, cryogenic, okay. That's what we can think. When you die, well, it's like your spirit's still in there maybe, I guess. And then thousands of years later when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a resurrection and you're going to get back up. And your body's rotted, dead, and gone. Right? You know science, right? Basic science. Someone dies. Hey, we have fancy coffins now and tombs that can preserve people for longer, which is kind of gross if you ask me. Pine box or cremated for me, please. Let's get this over with. (laughs) I don't care. Let's say old days. You put them in a pine box, you put them in that ground, give them 100 years, maybe. And pine's a good wood, but man, it's going to break down. Worms are going to eat the box. They're going to eat the body. And the dust will return to dust. Even the bones break down. It's all gone. Circle of life, guys. Basic science. So how does this work? How does this work? We tend to think you die. Oh, he's in peace. And I guess he's asleep. They're just asleep. Until Jesus, because there's going to be a resurrection, they're going to wake back up. But the body's gone. What happens here? What happens when we die? Pre-Jesus... The scriptures, we're going to go off what the scriptures say. Uh, Hebrew Old Testament talks about Sheol, which is the realm of the dead, okay? Um, Jesus, I believe, is referencing this, and most theologians would say he's referencing this. In Luke chapter 16, the parable he told about the rich man Lazarus, not Lazarus he brought back from the dead, his friend but some other guy who was kind of a rich jerk is what we get the connotation of, all right? The rich Lazarus who had a beggar sitting at his gate, and Jesus said he would ignore the beggar, you know? And this, this poor man, dogs would lick his wounds. Poor homeless man who would just knew this guy was rich and was trying to get help, and the guy ignored him his whole life. They both died, Jesus says. 
and they go to this place where the poor man is taken to Abraham, to be with Abraham, what is called Abraham's bosom, all right? I don't like that phrase for obvious reasons. We don't talk that way anymore, and it just feels like it has a whole other connotation. I just don't like it. But that's what the you know King James English old, old school people called it, right? Well, they're really talking about Sheol, or Hades is another reference to it. Now, in Sheol, um, hmm, there, there was... It was basically a holding place, okay? It's like heaven or hell, but when you die, your spirit goes there, and there's a holding place for bad people who reject God, like this rich man, Lazarus, who had an opportunity to help someone and do what God wanted, and he didn't, and he went to the bad place, and he was in suffering. He was in torment, and Jesus tells the story. He's begging the poor man now for help, and the poor man might have even wanted to help him, but Abraham butts in and goes, no, 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 there's a great chasm fixed between us, and he can't help you, and It is what it is. Remember, in your life, you had good things. You were comforted. He had bad things. See, people judge God and say, what about the innocent child who's murdered? What about the the people who are good people, kids who get sick? And where is God? How can God allow this? God doesn't judge based in this life. He bases it on eternity. And apparently, according to this story, people who suffer more in this life, even great injustices... He's got all of eternity to make it up to him, and he knows that. So God is judging things differently than we do, and eternal reward is eternal. It's much greater than any reward in this life. And so the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus paints this picture, this Sheol place, this Hades place, this holding cell type of place. I'm going to explain why I call it a, a holding cell in a few minutes, uh, Righteous people of the past who have faith in God were already alive according to Jesus. So what I'm, the point I'm making is scripture, when you study all the scriptures on life after death, it dismantles this cryogenic sleep, our spirits are asleep, until the, the resurrection at the end of all things, okay? It dismantles that idea, okay? So... Mark 12, the transfiguration, it says Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. They literally are there. This is pre-cross. This is pre-resurrection. Moses and Elijah are apparently alive somehow, and they appear with Jesus on the mountain. Mark chapter 12, Jesus teaches on this with the Sadducees, who there were two groups, there's more groups than that, but two main groups of religious leaders, the Pharisees, who were honestly mostly right in their teaching. They just didn't love people, so they were wrong. The Sadducees had a lot of erroneous beliefs. They really didn't believe in the afterlife, life after death, and they challenged Jesus. Like, they thought this is all there is, and when you die, you're done. And Jesus, this is his response to them, Mark chapter 12. Are you not in error? This is why we have error in our day too. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. He's talking about the specific question they asked. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses? He's like, it's in the scriptures. The scriptures tell us. There's clues. Have you not read in this, he says, in the account of the burning bush, when God said to him, Moses... I am the God of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He's not the God of the dead, but the living. You are badly mistaken. When you don't know the scriptures or the power of God, you can get badly mistaken in a lot of ways. The scriptures and the power of God, both are important. And so they didn't. They were mistaken. Jesus is picking up on a subtle nuance of grammar in the Old Testament. This, this Bible verse does not say, oh, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, and when you die, you're still alive if you love God. It doesn't say that. It's not a systematic bullet point teaching. It's a little nuance of grammar. But when you're the God who you just speak and boom, worlds and universes get created, you take your words very carefully and little nuances and grammar matter. And so if someone's ever asked you, oh, who was this person? And you're like, oh, that was my dad. Why? Why do you say was? Because he's gone. He's passed away. He's dead. If he's alive, you say, he is my dad. If he's gone, you say, he was my dad. God says, I am, not I was the God of these people who lived long before you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God. They're still alive. They're with me. I'm the God of the living, and these men honor me. They believe. They had faith. They're here with me. That's what Jesus is saying. They're alive, and he meant, like, right now, they're alive, and then, When Moses passes away, God buries him, his avatar, his body, his tent. Then his spirit appears with Jesus. Why? Because he's still alive. That's interesting. Next example. The thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you're on a cross dying, and the person you're talking to, praying to, is on a cross dying... That's some faith. If you were alive during Jesus' time and he said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the coming king, and you were like, cool, I'm going to believe in him, then you get crucified next to him and he's being crucified, how much more faith does it take for you to go, is he getting out of this? Is he still going to be the Messiah? And this guy looks at him and somewhere, somehow gets faith and goes, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know how you're getting out of this. I don't know how you're overcoming this. You're literally about to die, and you're going to, in a few minutes, die. But remember me. And Jesus says, what does he say? Do you remember? I tell you the truth. What he did not say is, you know, what's going to happen is, you're going to rest in peace, cryogenically sleep. Your spirit's going to be asleep. And in a few thousand years, you'll be with me in paradise at the white throne judgment when you get back up. Today, the day you're dying is the day you'll be with me in paradise. That's interesting. That's a clue. Next, next example. See, we can't pick one Bible verse and go, well, there's going to be a resurrection, which means we know we die, so there's going to be a resurrection, so we must be asleep until, we must rest in peace and be asleep until, and then the Bible says asleep, so it's confusing, right? You can't take one Bible verse and make a whole theology. You need to look at all the verses and put them all together and go, oh, this is what it's saying. And so 2 Corinthians 5.8, the Apostle Paul says, we are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Another rendering of that is to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Remember that. 
Philippians 1, Paul goes on, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am uh, to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. He's literally in prison, possibly going to be executed. And he's like, man, do I want to be executed or do I want to stay on this earth? Man, I don't know. That's a hard choice. That's what he's saying. That's a hard choice, man. Because I really desire to depart and be with Christ. Which is better by far. Remember that. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He's like, I'd rather die and be with Jesus right now. But since it'll be better for you, I guess I'll stick around. Hmm, it's interesting. Jesus took the idea even further when he said this in John chapter 8. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. It's a promise for you, Christian. If you're a Christian, you won't see death. Listen to how the Pharisees interpreted that. At this, they claimed, they exclaimed, we know, now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. If you believe in Jesus, you will never see death. You will never taste death. That's what the Bible's saying. We're going to put all this together to talk about this is what happens when we die in a few minutes. John eleven twenty six, and whoever lives by believing in me, Jesus said, will never die. Are you getting the picture? It's not like, well, you die, and it kind of sucks, and then you're, but you're kind of asleep, and then one day you get to come back to life. That's not what the Bible's saying. That's not what Jesus taught. Your body dies. Remember that. We're going to talk about what your body is. But Jesus is saying if you're a believer in him, and you're, when your body dies, when your body dies, because your body needs to die, because it's of this earth, and this earth is corrupted, and it's going away, and it's going to all be destroyed by fire, but when your body dies if you're a believer you don't even experience death you don't see death you don't taste death and you're with Jesus immediately that's what he's saying this is what the Bible is teaching Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7 this is an important verse this is reality and we're going to talk about just how experiential reality it is scientifically then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to the God who gave it. Your body's made of dust. All scientists will tell you that. Your body's made of dust, and when, you, when your body gives out, better way to say it, <laughs> the dust returns to the ground, and your spirit goes somewhere else, and that's a reality. You return to the God who gave it. So let's talk about this. This is reality according to scripture and according to science here in a few minutes we'll talk about. You are not your body. Let me say it this way. You are not a body with a soul or spirit. You're a spirit with a body. Scripture uses many different metaphors to talk about your body and what it is. 
And one of the, the, the main one it uses is it's a tent. And it's referencing the tabernacle of God. The temp, uh, you know, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But, but more so, temples, Paul speaks in another scripture, temple's too permanent of a word. It's really a tent. It's more like the tabernacle. Why? Temples are permanent. They, they hold up through the ages. No, 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 no. <laughs> Your body's a tent. Tents are made of leather back in this day. Leather gets tanned by the sun. Therefore, it gets wrinkly. It gets stiff, starts getting worn. You start to not to like to live in it anymore. Your body's a tent. A couple of scriptures about it, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. For we know in this that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not made by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal, your body, may be swallowed up by life, true life. Second Peter 1, 13-15, I think it is right to refresh your memory, as long as I live in this tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things so you're not a, you're not a body with a spirit you're a spirit with a body your body's a tent it's your dwelling place would it be ludicrous if you were talking to somebody about your house as if your house was you? Yes, your house is not you. Your house is simply the place where you live. Your body is not you. It's simply the place where you live, where your spirit dwells, inhabits, okay? So the Bible says tent, and we can always use that language. That's great. I think a good modern translation of that is avatar with all of our computers and What's an avatar? It's the little person on the computer that you're controlling. You are animating this thing. It's your avatar. This is your avatar. It's your vehicle. It's your tent. And praise God, he's an amazing designer. The, the people will never, you know, Elon Musk and whoever, smart cars and smart technology will never make anything as cool and smart as a human body. Amazing. And you know, the movie Avatar is not far off. They take a consciousness and put it into a body. I mean, that's what God did with you and me. We're avatars. It's amazing. From a, a seed from your dad that you can't even see. Gets implanted in an egg in your mom, which you couldn't even see if it was out in the open. And kids, ask your parents how this works tonight. But it becomes a zygote. You know what a zygote is? It's a single cell organism that is you as one cell. And then in the coming weeks, that zygote multiplies billions and trillions of times and exponentially, and it grows, and it all, it's the DNA book in you. And Francis Collins is the scientist who mapped the human genome, and he became a believer along the way because he said, this is instructions. This doesn't happen by chance. This is a book. This tells us what to do. That's not by chance. He's a Christian. Places faith in Jesus Christ because of an intelligent design. Fingerprint on the human body. So, one last scripture, Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Why is that? 
Because when you believe in Jesus and you, your body gives out and you die, you fall, your body falls asleep, you don't taste death. You're immediately with him. Boom. And so let me bring a little comfort to some of you. If you've lost a family member who's died in a car wreck and they're a believer in Jesus, we think about pain, we think about suffering, how awful it must have been that they saw the tree and, oh, my gosh, oh, my goodness, boom, oh, my goodness. And then the car burned and, oh, they were de- they're dead. Oh, it's so horrible. They went through that pain and suffering. First of all, ask people who've been through traumatic car wrecks. The vast majority don't even remember it because God hardwired our body avatars with a system that forgets it. Isn't that amazing? The grace of God in our bodies. But here's, if your friend was a believer... <laughs> Here's what happened. Jesus. Who cares? Jesus. I'm a little confused how I got here, but Jesus. And then you see Jesus and you don't care. You don't care. Because you are enraptured with his glory. You don't care how you got there. You don't care there was a car wreck. You're with Jesus. You didn't taste death. You didn't go to Sheol for waiting the judgment, not sure if you were a good Christian enough or not. Boom, Jesus, glory, paradise, praise God. Now you know why mature Christians get to be like Paul and go, man, do I want to stay? My tent is given out. And in my younger days, it was a slick tent. But I'm telling you, it's not so slick anymore. It's kind of tanned and not in a good way. It's dried and leathery and getting holes in it, more holes, if you know what I mean. And I'm just like, what in the world? Do I want to depart and be with him immediately or stay here? Man, I don't know. That's a hard one. I have two grandparents who, all my grandparents are gone, but two of them said to me, I'm ready. Can I please leave? I'm ready. And as a 20-something, I was like, whoa. How can someone say that? They knew the Lord. They were ready. Get me out of this tent. My tent's giving out. My roof's leaking. <laughs> I want to be with Jesus. And so that's what happens when we die. Let me, let me say it this way and paint a more clear picture. So the Bible says at the end, when Jesus comes back, there will be a, what we call the great white throne judgment. teaches that. Everyone will be judged. Everyone. Believers, righteous. And by the way, you're only righteous by the blood of Jesus. That's not like good people. All right? We're all bad people in need of a Savior. And when we accept Christ, you get considered righteous. Okay? The righteous get judged for reward, depending on what you did with the deposit of the Holy Spirit inside of you. There's differing rewards. Jesus told many stories about that. The unrighteous who are going to go to hell, they get judged, and there's differing levels of um, punishment and consequence. And we know that because Jesus compares cities and says, will you be lifted up? Nope, you're going to be lower than this city because if I had done the miracles in those cities, they would have repented, but you didn't, so you're going to be judged worse. He said of the Pharisees, how did he say it? The harshest judgment is reserved for them. Why? They should know better. And they're teachers. They know better. They know better. 
And they're misusing and abusing God's people and fleecing the sheep. Blackest darkness, Jude said, is reserved for them. There's differing levels of punishment. There's differing levels of reward. That's the great white throne judgment. So let's put that all together. What happens when you die? If you're a believer in Jesus, you've received him by faith. You go to a place that I would just call paradise, because that's what Jesus called it with the thief on the cross. And I, it's what I would call a precursor to, the, to heaven, heaven. Because he says he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. So it's like current heaven, but once the judgment happens, then he's making a new one. So it's kind of pre-heaven, but it's paradise. So when you die, you're going to know where you're going, ultimately. You still have a judgment to wait, but you know where you're going. So for (laughs) the Christian, you're with Jesus, which is the reward anyways, right? And you're like, awesome, who cares about anything else? But however much time is left till the great white throne judgment, you know I'm getting rewarded. That's all you know. You just have something awesome to look forward to, however much longer this life goes on, this earth is spinning around the sun. So what happens to the unbeliever? They would go to a place, uh, again, Scripture would call it Hades, Sheol, hell uh, in our language we call it. But I think hell, we think of fire, the lake of fire. Lake of fire is hell, hell. That's like the ultimate destination, okay? Hades is the precursor, but it's still a place of suffering, okay? When, when Jesus told the parable about he went to Abraham's bosom, it, he's talking about Hades. Um, Peter references this place, 1 Peter three nineteen and 20. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits... To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. There is a place where God holds people for judgment. Okay, he's talking about, uh, in Greek, it's actually not Hades. It's, it's Tartarus, which is from Greek mythology. Okay, and that's not the Bible borrowing from mythology. That's Peter saying, what you call Tartarus is what the Jews call Hades. It's the same thing because the greek gods and goddesses are fallen angels they're real entities all right some of the stories are fantasized and made up but it's these are real entities and real beings they're the fallen angels okay so second peter 2 4 he says for if god did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell that's tartarus he literally uses tartarus the holding place the dungeon place putting them in chains of darkness to be held for what? For judgment. These are not all the angels. These are some who sinned in a certain way, most likely the ones who sinned with mankind in Genesis chapter 6 to create the Nephilim. That's a whole other sermon. That they were put, God's like, you're not doing that anymore. Angels mixing with humans, we're not doing that anymore. You're going to Tartarus, you're going to Hades, and you're going to be held for judgment. The demons, the other fallen angels, they're still on the prowl, right? They're still here. And so if you know Jesus, the moment you die, boom, you're in paradise. You're with him. You're in paradise, and you're waiting judgment, but it's a judgment of reward, and you will know that. Praise God. If you don't know Jesus, you will go to a really bad place. It will be like hell, but actually real hell, the lake of fire is coming. Differing levels of suffering. That's all you're going to know is, is a whole other level of pain and suffering is coming. 
and you will weep and you will regret and you will gnash your teeth because you will know you had a chance to accept Jesus Christ and you didn't. And that's what you'll weep over for eternity. You'll weep over that right there for eternity. Regret. I had a chance. I knew. I heard the gospel. And I didn't respond. And I chose pride. And I chose hard-heartedness. And I held on. I thought that life was all there is, even though that preacher said, told me otherwise. And who cares what he thinks? He was reading the scriptures. And so this is what happens when we die. We go to one of these places. We're either with the Lord or we're not, and then we await his judgment. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus who passed away. And I've quoted that story a little bit already. And it's a really fascinating story, and I don't want to get into it or I'll end up preaching it, and we'll be here for a whole other hour. (sighs) So they send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. This was a beloved friend. Fascinating story. Jesus waits where he is intentionally to let his body die. See, I told you I couldn't do it. Man, here we go. You start wondering, why does God allow me to go through suffering? Why, is he, why do he allow my loved one to die? I thought he loved me. I prayed. He said, if we have faith and pray, I know I had faith. You know how you have faith? You know how it wasn't, you know it wasn't your faith that was the problem? When you're surprised when they die. You're like, I thought God was doing that one. (laughs) And you're shocked. And that was me with my father-in-law. I was singing songs over him. What a beautiful name it is in that hospital. I was like, he's kidding up. He's kidding up. I was proclaiming life. He didn't get up. I was shocked. I was confused. And in that moment, you're tempted to get mad at God. But I want to encourage you, just like the sisters, Mary and Martha, in this story. Take that confusion and pain to Jesus. The devil will want you to run and hide from him and be angry at him. Take it to him. And they admitted to him in their grief, if you had been here, he would have gotten up. He would not have died. And that's what happened in that story. And, of course, we know Jesus wept. And then he said, Lazarus, come out. And he he raises him from the dead. But verse 4 says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice, for God's glory, that God's son may be glorified through it. Lazarus did die. His body died, right? He was placed in a tomb. He was there for four days by the time Jesus got there. He was dead, dead. This wasn't like, well, I think my heart stopped for a minute, but the doctor said they brought me back, but I'm not really sure, and I think I was dead, but I'm not really sure. My lungs were still going. Okay, you weren't technically dead. Lazarus was dead, dead, deader than a doornail dead, okay? Starting to stink dead because Jesus said, roll the stone away, and they're like, oh, he's been there four days. It's going to stink. Glad you have faith. We don't. Jesus was the awkward guy at the funeral going, open that coffin. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) He's been there a while. The sickness will not end in death. It will not end in death. He died. But it didn't end in death. He got back up, right? Right? His sickness will not end in death. And I'm here to tell you, your death will not end in death. If you place your faith in Jesus. Lazarus came back. He had what we would call a near 
death experience. (laughs) Now, that's a phrase in our culture abbreviated NDE. That's a thing. You can go Google it later and read all about them. Recent NPR report said researchers have found that 20% of people who have a verified cardiac arrest and still live in the body afterwards report that they had an NDE, a near-death experience. What is a near-death experience in our culture in these terms? It's not like every teenage man in here or man who was a teenager once, we all had an NDE, right? We all had a near-death experience. We tried to light this on fire and then we poured gas after we lit it and it blew up in our face. We almost died. It was a near-death experience. No, no, no. I got plenty of those. That's not what this is. Near-death experience is when you die, you do die, your spirit leaves your body and you go somewhere else and your spirit experiences things. And then somehow, grace of God or doctors working on you or whatever, your spirit comes back into your body and you live to tell about it. That is what we've come to call an NDE, near-death experience. One, one in five people who've had a verified cardiac incident. I asked my wife, who's a cardiac nurse, works in cardiac rehabilitation. I said, before I told her this, I said, guess how many people who've had a verified cardiac incident have had a near-death experience? She said, I'd say about one in four. And I said, it's actually one in five. She goes, oh, okay. She interviews all her patients but as they're admitting them into her program. And she said, I ask all of them, did you experience anything while you were out? And she thought it was about one in four that would say, yeah, I did. <laughs> but it's about one in five. of general population have had them. That's one out of every 20 people. In a church our size, that's 25 to 35 people in our church who've had one. And I personally know at least one person who brain dead died, met with Jesus, and came back. And she's one of our door greeters. I know several other people personally who've had them. That's over. I know a guy from my high school days who said he died and went to hell. And he knew Jesus. He knew about Jesus before that. But when he had that experience, he actually started living for Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So that's over 17 million people approximately in America alone. 394 million people uh, in the world who are current life have had these experiences. Before we go any further, and I share a few of them with you, biblical basis for this, and I'm, I'm sad I have to say this, but some Christians say that this is nonsense, and it's not nonsense. We have a biblical example of one, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to third heaven. That's heaven, heaven, where God lives. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Most theologians think Paul was talking about himself, and it was a humble brag. I happen to think it's when he was stoned to death. You know Paul was stoned to death. And they dragged him out and prayed for him, and then he came back. I think putting those two together. Regardless, he says he knew someone, and it's scripture. Okay? So, that's scripture. Example. So let's talk about example, example from our current culture. And I'm going to go with people who aren't Christians. Because the critics of this 
say that it's charismatic Christians who make everything up, and it's of the devil that they do it. So let's go with how about atheist doctors who believed that these were just your brains hallucinating. And the first one is Dr. Bruce Grayson, who said he was called to an ER uh, via uh, a code blue to treat a college student named Holly who had OD'd on drugs. He called her name, tried to rouse her, but she was totally unconscious. Grayson went uh, down the hall and interviewed Holly's roommate, Susan, to find out what had happened the next morning. Holly, uh, they, they eventually revived her and got her awake, uh, but she was groggy and, and very weak. She had her eyes closed, and he started talking to her, and, and uh, he introduced himself, and she replied, yes, I remember you from last night. And he was very confused, and he responded, I didn't know you could see me. And at this point, she opened her eyes and stared him down, and he got really freaked out. And she said, not in my room. When you were talking to Susan on the couch, you were wearing a striped tie with a red stain on it. Then she went on to recount every detail of the conversation that he had had in another part of the building with her roommate. Why? She said her spirit left her body, and she saw and heard him before she ever met him while her body, her avatar, was awake. That's interesting. Gratian was so, again, atheist doctor, but he was so shocked and in all of this experience that it sent him on a several-year journey of studying near-death experiences, and he eventually wrote a book about it. Let's talk about Dr. Eben Alexander, atheist, uh, non-Christian neuroscientist who um, studied the brain for 25 years, and he heard a lot of stories about NDs, and he's like, oh, your brain's hallucinating, that's what happens. You see, your brain's like this, and when it's about to die, it does this, and chemicals are released, and you have these hallucinations. This was his nice, tidy explanation. Until, in 2008, he contracted a rare form of aggressive meningitis that attacked his brain through an E. coli infection, um, and for seven days, he lied comatose in Lynchburg General Hospital. His brain activity was reduced to brainstem, just physical, and so the, the part that does everything else uh, was totally brain dead uh, during that time. And doctors were certain his death was inevitable. They encouraged his family to discontinue treatments um, and his wife to prepare for a final goodbye. But amazingly, he didn't die. He defied medical predictions and confounding his doctors. He awoke even more surprising. His cognitive function returned rapidly. The doctor's dire predictions of serious brain injury were quickly disproven. Language and memory and emotion eventually returned. He's totally normal now, right? But something was different. When he came back, he said, recounted an amazing story, he went to some other place. He saw he was in a spiritual realm that combined light and music of unimaginable beauty. This was not a man who believed in God. He said he met God, didn't have a name for him. And he had this experience. Then he found out the scientific facts that he was totally brain dead and being during this time and being a neuroscientist who knows how the brain works, his theory that he had had for 25 years was thrown out the window. And he was like, my brain could not have hallucinated because I was totally brain dead when I had this experience. And he was left with the truth. This was real. Upon realizing this, he became a Christian... (laughs) placed his faith in Jesus because he believed this was a real experience. Why am I telling these stories? Because I find it profoundly interesting that one in five people, or I'm sorry, one in 20 people, general population, I'm sorry, 
yeah, is that right? 5%? No, 5%. Is that right? 1 in 20. I'm not a math person. You see. Thank you, Jesus, for math people. 1 in 20 people in general population have had one of these experiences. 20%, 1 in 5 of cardiac arrest, arrest people have had one of these experiences. Now, science can keep going, oh, it's not true. Oh, we don't think supernatural. We, we have a preconceived conclusion that after your body goes down, then nothing happens. Or you can go with the overwhelming amount of evidence that's pointing to, here's why I shared it. This is what the Bible says. When you lay your body down, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, when it gives out, the dust returns to the dust and the spirit returns to the God who gave it, your spirit goes somewhere else. And it's, we have NDEs of, it was a horrible place. And some people are like, I knew it was hell. And I met demons there. And other people were like, I didn't know what it was. It was horrific. I'd never heard of hell until I got back in my body. Amazing amount of these people become believers, or if they were believers before, they become on fire believers after these experiences. My point is, if the Bible's true, which it is, we should see and hear evidence of it on this topic, and we do. And if you ask around people you know enough, eventually they will tell you about it. And so I believe the Lord had me share some of those stories to be a bit of a Christian apologist because there's so much unbelief that persists in his people today. And man, it just hit me as I was reading the resurrection story and the crucifixion story over the last week especially, that when Jesus appeared to his own disciples, they didn't believe it. They're like, you gotta be a ghost. This can't be real. And he said, why are you, Luke 24, 38, why are you so troubled? And why do doubts keep rising in your minds? It's me, touch the nail marks. Now, poor Thomas, he gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas. But the dude wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to them. It says Thomas wasn't with them in John's account. So he said to them, hey, unless I put my fingers in the nail marks myself, I'm not going to believe. Now, you can, we can look down on Thomas all you want, but 12 dudes who probably pranked each other from time to time, saying, oh, he was here, Thomas. You weren't here, but he was. And he's like, man, you guys are laying on thick, and you're, this is good. Y'all are acting real good. But I'm not going to believe it unless I see him, unless I put my fingers. And guess what? Jesus shows up again. And he goes, Thomas, go ahead. Kind of gross. Go ahead. See? Go ahead. It's me. I'm alive. What does he say to him? Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And that's the word of encouragement from the Lord to his people tonight. Stop doubting and believe. Some of you have been grieving for years and years and years over people you've lost. 
Because you're grieving like the world who has no hope. Because your heart's dull to the truth. And I've been praying this week that God would encourage you and he'd bring, use his word to be healing balm to your heart. And we're going to pray in a few minutes. I'm going to ask God to give you some signs, some wonders, some prophetic experiences with him of comfort for you and for your loved ones. Because he's gracious and he does that. The Bible is true. God is real. Jesus is Lord. So hear what the Spirit is saying to his people tonight. Stop doubting and believe. I want to close with this. Indies are pretty pretty common, as I've mentioned. I know several people personally who've had them. I've, I'm fascinated. I love to hear these stories. John Burke, a Christian pastor, wrote a book called Imagining Heaven. He interviewed over, personally interviewed over a 1,000 people who've had these experiences. And then he wrote a book about it and the commonalities. And it's, it's just really interesting. Um, John Bevere, in his book, um, Driven by Eternity, tells a few stories of people who died. And they were prayed back. <laughs> literally died. Literally were prayed back. And... There's a common thread among most of the stories that I've heard. And I I didn't do a study on it. It's not like 57% of people with an NDE, this is the truth. I don't know what the percentage is. All I know is the vast majority of Christian people that I know that have had one, they've said this common phrase. And it profoundly encourages me when I think about these things. Because it supports scripture and what Paul said when he's like, I don't know, I'm kind of torn. I'd rather be with Jesus, which is better by far. There's this common phrase. And I've heard many people say it. And it's a common thread in many of the ones I've heard. I wish I had time to read them all to you. I'll just quote one of them. And it's the one from Driven by Eternity. This young man, I I forget how old he was, he passed away. And I forget the circumstances. It was traumatic. It was like a kid, basically. Teenage boy, I believe. And his father was freaking out, and he was praying, and, and he, the kid's dead, right? And he prayed this prayer. It was something like, Lord, I'm praying with all the faith I have, but I know there's another kind of faith, and it's your faith, the faith of God. And, and he said he felt something physically come over him. And then he said, in the name of Jesus, I call my son back. got real passionate you know and the kid eventually woke back up came back to life and he was dead dead and he came back to life and he had injuries and all this I don't remember the circumstances he was waking up in the hospital he said dad I saw Jesus I was talking with Jesus and as I was talking with him he said oh your father's calling you back and he has authority over your life and so I'm sending you back it's a pretty cool story if it were to stop right there. But there's this one detail. And I'm telling you, I've heard it from many people, a few of the people I know, they've had this detail in there. And this young man said it to his dad this way. He goes, Dad, if this ever happens again, can you not pray me back? <laughs> he said it was so awesome. He said, I didn't want to come back. He said, you got to go back. Your dad's calling you back. He said, Dad, if it happens again, can you not do that? 
the vast majority of people who've had one of these experiences that I know or ones that I've read. They said, I didn't want to come back. I've told my wife, I'm a DNR. I want you all to know. We believe in raising the dead here. Hey, let's pray for him. Get him back. Let me be. I'm serious. I want to be with Jesus. I'm done with this life. And if I remain here, it's for my wife and kids and you all. It's fruitful labor for me. It'll be fruitful labor for me. And I know I'll remain. But do not pay me back. I want to be with him. I want to be with him. I feel like the Lord wanted me to share that tonight. To encourage some of you who've lost someone. You hear it at funerals all the time, but this is real. This is real stuff. It's hard for you because you're not with them. But if they're a believer in Jesus, let me tell you, as great as you are, even if you're the husband or you're the mom or you're the, they don't want to be back with you because they're with the one their heart loves. And they'll be like, no, I'll just wait here. <laughs> they'll be here soon. In eternity, it's a breath. They'll be here real quick. They don't want to come back. You can, listen, you can let them go. They don't want to come back. They're with him. As David said, I'll go to him, but he will not come back to me. And here's the deal, church. I hope that comforts you, but you will go to them. Your spirit will return to the God who gave it. So what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you received him as Lord? Have you given him your life because you want his life? It's his life for your life. Have you made that decision? Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life, knowing Jesus, receiving him as Lord. You're born dead spiritually. You need reborn. Jesus said when you receive him, it's like you're reborn. You're born again. Spirit, your body. Unfortunately, you don't get a new tent. <laughs> Same tent. Completely new you. Reborn you. You, that's not a fading flower anymore. It's you reconnected to the root of life, the source of life, Jesus. And here's the great mystery, church. It says when he comes back, he'll bring with him those who have died in Christ. Eternal life does not start at the great white judgment. Eternal life starts the moment you receive Christ by faith. You're born again. Your spirit becomes alive. You pass from death to life. Your life is hidden in Christ with God. It's hidden. It, it's, it doesn't look like it in this life. Your, your tent's getting wrinkly, so it seems like you're fading. But even though Paul said we're pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're renewed day by day. So in Christ, the moment you receive him, you're alive. You're alive. And so whether it's a car wreck, boom, whether it's a slow fade of the tent is giving out, the moment it gives out, you're with Jesus. 
Because your spirit is just moving residences. That's why Jesus could call Lazarus back so easily. He was just in another place. It wasn't even so difficult as creation, creating something out of nothing. It was like, hey, Lazarus, come back to your body. Boom. He's back. Same for Jesus. Same for you. And so at the resurrection, are we resurrected the moment we place faith in Christ? That is the resurrection. That is a resurrection. Or do our spirits get put back in a new avatar that's an eternal glorified one? I don't know. Scripture seems to say both, so I'm going with both. Your spirit's resurrected the day you receive Christ. And then apparently we get, we get a new glorified avatar. Praise Jesus. That will never waste away. That will never fail. I'm here for it. I'm down for whatever. I just want Jesus. So what have you done with Jesus? Have you received him as Lord? Maybe you've said that prayer, but you're like, he's really not my Lord. I've been there too. And then I almost died one night when I was 20 years old. Literally almost died. And I freaked out. And I thought, if I die tonight, where am I going? I said a prayer one time when I was 10. But I have not been living it. He's not been my Lord. And it put the fear of God in me. And I cried out to God. Please save me. Please let me live. Please, if you let me live, I'll stop living this way. And I'll live for you. My life is yours. That's Lord stuff right there. That's Lord stuff. And I'm telling you, he let me live. And I woke up the next morning and I was different. And I read the Bible and it jumped off the page. And I didn't realize, I didn't have terminology for it, but I was filled with the Holy Spirit. My mind was on fire. It was totally renewed. And I was like, things are different. I got to live different. I started having prophetic dreams. I started hearing God's voice. I had no context for that. I didn't grow up in church like that. Our church didn't believe in that stuff. Well, you start believing it when God starts doing it to you. Because everything the book says is real. Everything. And there is a reality that's beyond this reality where we're sitting, and it's the spirit reality. And so, we're here tonight. I've been praying all week. For those of you who've been weeping during worship, was weeping before the service. And it's tears of gratitude for me, like crying on his feet, you know? But I weep for you. Because I'm like, who am I? And I, I came to faith not necessarily sitting in a church service. It was the grace of God, the grace of his spirit that was just like, you better repent. (laughs) When I was out in the world by myself, but because I was raised in church, I knew what to do, and I called on the name of Jesus. But I'm thinking, who am I? I didn't figure all that out. I'm not so great that I made this great choice. It was under fear of death. Who am I? And I'm so thankful for it now. I'm no different. I'm like a chief of sinners, Christ saved sinners of whom I'm the worst. There are people who don't know him who will spend eternity without him and I beg him for your soul all the time. And that's why I do what I do. And because he called me to do it. And that's why we preach the full gospel here. We preach the real truth here. So I've told you what happens. I'm innocent. 
of the blood of all men, as Paul said. I don't preach a half-hearted, watered-down, just tell you the positive stuff and, oh, so you'll like me and we'll have a bigger church. No, I'm telling you the truth. I don't care if I go over 26 minutes because eternity is more important. What have you done with Jesus? See, I didn't come here to have a church service and get out on time. We had a little dance and we sang and you felt good and you left. And went. Easter was really great and he got us out on time, which is most important to me. I came here to preach the Bible, to wake up hearts, to encourage people who really believe, but their hearts have been dulled and you've been grieving too hard, too long, too much. Because when they depart, it's going to be better for them by far. It's just harder for you. So grieve, but grieve with hope, says God. I'm done living for this world. The only thing that brings is judgment. So the rest of my life, it's a war. And we're on offense. I'm here to depopulate hell. And you don't do that through getting people to like you. You do that through preaching the word of God. And you let the chips fall where they may. So I've preached the word, and I hope you believe it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your presence here tonight. (laughs) You're so good. You're so gracious. We don't deserve it, God. (laughs) But you're just faithful. You're true to your word. Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. It's real simple. I love people, God says. I love you. He loves you so much. His heart is passionate for you. There's fire in his eyes. It's a fire of passionate love. And he never looks away from you. Never. And if you can't see his face, it's because you're not looking. And you're down looking at the earth or you're looking at other things. Where the enemy's got a cloud over you blocking your vision. Look up, God says. And we say, get out of here, clouds. And get out of here, veils. And get out of here, enemy. God is opening eyes and hearts. Because he wants you to see his face. And he wants you to see deep into his eyes. And he wants you to see the flames of fire that burn for you. And he never looks away. Doesn't matter how cloudy he is. That sun burns. It burns and it shines on the earth. Whether it's cloudy or not, sometimes we just can't see it. Sometimes we're just on the dark side of hope. But the world will turn. This too shall pass. And you will see his face. If you just turn to him now and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, restore my heart and give me hope. Just turn to him right now. Just turn to him right now. And as you're turning to him, if if you're here tonight, and you don't know him, you want to receive him by faith, turn to him and ask him to be your Lord right now in your seat. Just say, be my Lord, I give you my life. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up right now. And they're going to be under the screens up front. We're just going to close with the ministry time, and I'm inviting you into it. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you want to know Jesus for real we want to pray with you about that you don't have to pray with us you can pray in your seat you can do business with God that's fine 
But we would love to pray over you if you receive him by faith tonight. You can get baptized in him, in water, and in the spirit. We're going to have water in this tank tomorrow. You can come back tomorrow and get baptized in water. Praise Jesus. If you want, we'll fill it up tonight. We'll hang out. It's what we live for. We'll have a party. Surprise party on the spot for you. Let us know if that's you. We'll do it. We got clothes here. You can change. It'd be awesome. We'll celebrate. We'll pray over you. But I also want to invite you, if you need healing in your heart, maybe you've lost someone. If you need healing in your body, you're afraid of of that or afraid of losing someone. We want to pray over you. Maybe you fear death itself and you're a believer and you're like, man, I believe everything you said, but I'm terrified. And I would just say, man, that's a spirit of fear attacking you. It's an oppression of the enemy. And we want to pray for you. And we can, by the power of Jesus, see God set you free from that through prayer. And so whatever you need tonight, he wants to meet your needs because he's still alive, because he's real, because he lives to intercede. He hears our prayer and his Holy Spirit is in this place. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. And we've seen him do miracles, many, many, many miracles, even in just the last few years. So we praise you for that, Jesus. I just praise you for the people that are going to receive tonight. And uh, if you feel like you, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've never had that experience and you want to, I'd like to pray for you as well. So we'll just, just throw, throw it all in there. <laughs> oh, you can eat buffet with Jesus tonight at the table. So praise God. We'll pray over whatever you need. So go ahead and stand. Jesus bless these people and uh, I thank you for those who've placed their faith in you tonight I thank you for those who you're healing tonight setting free tonight and I pray if anyone needs extra prayer Holy Spirit if you want to move in them and work in them just inspire them to come on up and give them that courage and pour out your power we love you Lord in Jesus name we thank you Jesus for the cross Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for the hope that we have that at the moment we pass from this life, we're already in life. We never die. We never see death. We never taste death. Praise you, Jesus. You're so good. And now we just want as many people as we know to have that reality in their lives. So we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.